0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Well, good morning. We have come to the end of our journey through the book of James. uh, A flyover, really, and I look forward to the day when we can slowly go through this book of the Bible and other books of the Bible uh, at a snail's pace. I mean, that's really the uh, the best way to do it. And I do, before uh, I go any further... Uh, I want to commend uh, Mr. Jonathan McClintock on a job well done last week. I did have the chance uh, Sunday, last Sunday afternoon, uh, to listen to his sermon. And so if you haven't heard it, it was a wonderful sermon, very edifying. I think maybe your best. If I'm going to go home and rank them. You'll see the rankings on ESPN tonight. Um, you can find our podcast at allsoulsfl.org, iTunes. Wherever podcasts are found, you can find it and listen to it. Prayer, our last pericope uh, in the book of James, is very much concerned with prayer. And we see that that prayer is, is fitting in all circumstances. That prayer can bring healing to both body and soul. And that prayer is powerful and that it can change you, it can change others, and that it can change the world. I mean, James presents prayer in verse 13 uh, and following of chapter 5 as a sort of Pavlovian response to all the circumstances of life. Is any among you afflicted? Is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs. Is any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So if you're suffering, pray. If you're happy, pray. That is, sing psalms. Thanksgiving, that's that's a type of prayer, a form of prayer. Thanksgiving and praise. Sing psalms. That is, use the original prayer book, the Psalter the prayer book of our Lord, to offer praise and thanksgiving to Almighty God, acknowledging, think all the way back to chapter 1, when something good happens, when life's good, give praise to God. Why? Think all the way back to chapter 1, because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Give thanks to God. So prayer, brothers and sisters, and you know this, it's not merely petition. But it's, it's hard to get past. I think that instinct is imbued in us, isn't it? God as cosmic vending machine. God as genie. God, I have a problem. You happen to be omnipotent, which means you can solve that problem. And so I'm going to talk to you a lot when I need something. God is so patient. How do we know? I mean, God's got to deal with this seven billion times over. Does anyone have anyone in their life? They only call you when they need something. Like, it's old. But God, God is patient and God is good. And we'll get to this in a second. God wants to give his children good gifts. He actually invites us to bring our... He, make your request on to God. He invites us to keep on asking and to keep on seeking and to keep on knocking. He wants us to come to him. But prayer is more than petition. Prayer is lifting the lifting up of one's heart to God. It's the lifting up of oneself to God. In repentance, if need be, in thanksgiving, in intercession. What is intercession? It's being in the presence of God with others on your heart. And, of course, request for aid. But the heart of prayer, the heart of prayer is adoration. Think of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, The Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus gave us to pray, which he wants us to actually pray those words. I mean, quote, when you pray, say, and then he gives us the Lord's Prayer. So, it's a script, if you will. It's a script that he gives us, but it's also the model and the basis for all other prayer. It's a model for prayer. And the Lord's Prayer, pay attention as we pray it this morning, it begins and it ends with adoration. So, prayer is fitting in all circumstances. And learning to pray is just learning to be aware of God's presence. Of does that mean when Paul says pray without ceasing, does that mean that you just have the prayer book out and you're trying to work, you're trying to do an Excel spreadsheet and you're like trying to pray and do it at the same time and you, you never stop? No, it's a constant awareness that your life is lived before Almighty God and for Almighty God. And that everything you're doing, there's this offering up to God in the midst of it. So prayer is fitting in all circumstances. Prayer also brings healing to both body and soul. We see in James 5 uh, the biblical basis, if you will, for the sacrament of unction. He says if you're sick, you are to call on the elders of the church, uh, the Greek word is presbyteros, uh, that is presbyter, which, uh, from which the English word priest is derived. It goes to presbyter, to preps, to priest. Little, it, it took a while, that evolution, but that's how language works. And we see in James that the purpose of this anointing, the sacrament of unction, the anointing of the sick, is first... To, to cleanse us from sin, to put us in right relationship with Almighty God, and give us grace to endure the suffering of sickness, and in extreme cases, to prepare the soul for death. That's called extreme unction or last rites. And if God wills, to heal the person bodily. Now I think it's important to understand, because we might you, you read you read James and you think, okay. Well, people get anointed that are sick, and they, and they don't get better. So, so what's going on in this path? Is it simply not true? Now, it's important to understand that the church has never interpreted, even from the earliest days of the church, uh, James' teaching, or has never held a, a theology of healing, that this is some sort of magical rite that will make a person better. Just get some oil from doTERRA or Young Living or whatever it is and anoint someone, make sure a priest does it, and automatically they will get better no matter what. If if you read it closely, that's not even the language that he uses. Speaking of James, James uses language of forgiveness and salvation and of being raised up. And yes, sometimes that raising up will be temporal. The sick will be healed. But the hope for the sick who belong to Christ is being raised up on the last day. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, didn't heal everyone. Let I me mean, back up a second, because I, I think we can sort of be deistic. A deist is someone who believes that God created everything, but that God is not actively involved now. So God was a cosmic clockmaker. He wound it up, this Newtonian universe, and let natural processes play their course. But, but God's not really involved day to day. He's not imminent and present with his, within his creation. He's a long way off. I don't know. He's at Sandals Jupiter or something. But he's not here. He's not active. And sometimes we can be deistic when we look at Scripture and say, Well, God just doesn't do those sorts of things anymore. He did them back in the Bible. But God doesn't work in that way now, it's important to understand that Jesus in his earthly ministry, he didn't heal everyone. St. Paul, who definitely had the gift of healing, didn't heal everyone. I mean, he writes in his, his personal effects. You know, at the end of a lot of his letters, so will just be like, say hi to this person, say hi to this person, do this, do that. As an aside, I think it just shows that really every word of Scripture is God-breathed. We, we don't think, oh, what, what sort of applic- what can we learn from Paul saying hi to people? But this is the word of God. And listen to what he says. The end of 2 Timothy, he says, Trophimus, that's a person, have I left at Miletum, a city, sick. He had the gift of healing. However, Jesus healed a lot of people. The apostles healed a lot of people. God, even today, heals a lot of people. And and I think that the the church, we as the church today, as modern people, we miss out on a lot of healing because we don't pray for it. We don't do what Scripture has called us to do. So, brothers and sisters, if you fall into serious illness, call on your priest to anoint you. So that, and we're going to get to this in a second, so that if your sickness is on account of sin, you can be forgiven. If your sickness, which I think is most of the time a fiery trial, which is for the good of your soul, you can receive the grace to endure it. There is strength, which God is offering you through prayer and through the sacraments of the church to endure the trials of this life, including sickness? Are we taking advantage of it? These gifts that God has given us. Now, I want to just talk briefly about the relationship, because James is talking about healing. He's also talking about the forgiveness of sins. What is the relationship between sin and sickness? James seems to be teaching that that there is some sort of connection between the two. Uh, Jesus healing in Mark 2 of the paralytic implies some sort of relationship. Remember, his four friends take off the roof and lower them down. And the first thing that Jesus says, it says, Jesus, when seeing their faith, says, Take heart, your sins are forgiven. So is sickness the result of sin? Well, yes, it's the result of sin in general. got to follow me through this. It's the result of sin in general. In other words, we live in a fallen world. Death and sickness entered the world through sin. And at the last day, when Jesus comes again, Sin and death will be vanquished forever. That's what we see at the book of Revelation. Sickness will be no more. There will be no more pain, no more crying, no more death. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. So healing in the ministry of Jesus and in the ministry of the church, it's bringing that age to come forward into the present So sickness is the result of sin in general. We live in a fallen world. But that doesn't mean that sickness is necessarily the result of personal or familial sin. Jesus warns against this kind of thinking. That if someone's sick, it's like, oh, what did they do wrong? What did he or she do wrong? You remember when Jesus in John chapter 9 heals the man that was born blind? So the disciples are with Jesus the word disciple means learner, and, the, and they didn't really learn until Pentecost, most of them. And they, asked, they see this man born blind, and they say to Jesus, Who sinned, this man or his parents? Who did something bad so that this guy got cursed? And Jesus said, It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, God is taking the fallen things of this world even, and he's using them for good. And that goes all the way back to James chapter 1, that God wants to take our suffering oftentimes. It's not fun to be in the midst of suffering, especially not bodily suffering. He wants to take that and he wants to use it to perfect us. But, but, I, but I, do, I do want to make this point. I, I don't want to overstate it. But I do want to say that, that sin could make us sick. It, it is a theological possibility. I mean, to give an extreme example, you could do drugs, which is probably not a good thing, like something heavy like heroin. And, and doing that would make you sick, would it not? You could have a dirty needle, and the consequence of that would be you could get sick and, and die. Moreover, I think we do have to be conscious of that, that we are creatures that are both heavenly and earthly. We are a psycho physical unity. That means we are body and soul. And I think we, we know from scripture, but I think we also know from experience that this, and from the medical world even, that the state of one's soul, the Greek word for soul being psyche, can affect one's body. I mean, case in point, point. and this stresses me out any, even more as someone who gets stressed. I mean, just ask you a question. Can long-term stress and anxiety make you physically ill? I, I think the, it seems that the overwhelming evidence points to, yes, it can, which if you've ever struggled with anxiety, then, then you have anxiety about your anxiety, and that's called meta-anxiety, and that's not a good place to be. You're worried about your worry. So the state of our soul can affect our body. We're, again, we're a unity of body and soul, of, mat- of that which is material and immaterial. Now, please don't take this as every time you get sick, you get the sniffles when you get home. Okay, what did I do? What did I do wrong? No, we live in a fallen world. We're, we're, we haven't been made perfect yet. We're going to get sick and we're going to get ill. There's another side to this. If if you're, and this is part of what's going on in James 5, I think. If you're sick, and the sickness is just a result of whatever, genetics, or exposure, (laughs) or living in a dangerous world, you know, beset by all manner of infirmities, and so you, you happen to be sick but you're also living in rebellion to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're living in sin. There's sin for which you have not repented for. You're not following him. Then, in, the line, in accordance with the, the teaching in James 5, is you're actually depriving yourself of the grace, the strength to endure the suffering in which you've found yourself. You're de- depriving yourself of the power and the presence of God that you need amidst sickness and suffering. So prayer is powerful. I I think we underestimate the power of prayer. I mean, this should be the takeaway today. Myself included. Prayer is much more powerful than I give it credit for. It can change you It can change others. It can change the world. And a prayer which is powerful and effective is not just reserved for priests or for the saints, but for all Christians who faithfully follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, James brings up Elijah. He says, don't don't think of Elijah. In essence, don't think of him as being in his own class, of being a different species of being. He, was just, he had passions, that is, he had emotions, he had really passions, sinful desires, just like you and me. In other words, James's point is, he was flesh and blood. He was a human, just like you. Yet, he prayed, and it didn't rain. He prayed again, and it did rain. God worked miracles through him. Brothers and sisters, I want to learn to pray. And I want you to learn to pray with me. First and foremost, why? So that one of us can win the Powerball? I mean, that would be great. So that we can know God. So that we can be in constant communion with Him and thereby brought into deeper union with Him. And out of that union as God molds us and makes us into the image of Jesus Christ, as God makes us in practice into righteous men and women, our prayers will be powerful and effective. We'll see lives transformed. We'll see sinners saved. We'll see the sick healed. And how do we do this? I mean, you've taken a first important step just by being here. Engaging in the prayer of the life of the church is essential, the Holy Eucharist, the daily offices. But let us continue to learn what prayer is, that it is once again the lifting up of oneself to God, that it it, it is an awareness that all of life is lived before him and for him. And so will we grow in prayer as we offer every single part of our lives to God, you're suffering, pray. You're cheerful, sing psalms in every season, in every moment. Walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, who's with us to the end of the age. Brothers and sisters, with me, do, let us do the hard work in the spirit of learning to pray without ceasing, to constantly be with our Lord who loved us and gave himself for us. Amen.